Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And for the first couple of podcasts uh, this year, I'd like to firstly talk about uh, what I might anticipate markets will do throughout 2022. Uh, And then using that information, uh, I will then take you through the goal setting process that I go through, that my wife and I go through to sort of set uh, financial, personal relationship and and business goals. Um, Not that there's one size that fits all in terms of uh, a goal setting process, but hopefully it provides a a bit of a framework, an idea that you can kind of incorporate uh, and come up with your own process because I think goal setting is incredibly important. Um, But before we get there, what I wanted to do is... um, just share what I might anticipate markets will do throughout the course of this calendar year. Now, it's not necessarily, um, uh, the reason for coming up with this isn't necessary to kind of predict or project, you know, which asset class will perform better and those sorts of things. But I guess some of the um, uh, possible issues, hurdles, opportunities or risks that markets might present, and that might help you with your goal setting because you might decide to do A before B or or whatever it might be. Okay, so let's get into it then. And let's start by talking about Australian property. So I think the challenge uh, over the last 12 months, you know, the market has really been dictated by low supply. Now, obviously, uh, throughout 2021, we had some lockdowns and obviously that impacted the market. But putting that aside, you know, for the times that the markets were open, Um, The problem was that there was very low supply, that is the number of listings available, uh, and there was a lot of buyers, uh, and some of those buyers were impacted by FOMO, Um, they worried that we're going to miss the boat and really wanted to get into the property market before low interest rates um, had their impact on on overall prices, And, and so what we started to see is in some sectors of the market, we started to see some pretty buoyant results. Uh, well, uh, the low supply hasn't really abated too much. Um, uh, Brisbane's probably, you know, out of Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, Brisbane's probably uh, the most dire situation where the number of houses listed are is about sort of one third below their kind of usual volume. Uh, stock levels in Melbourne and Sydney are still a bit lower, but not by the same margin, sort of five-ish, uh, maybe uh, seven to 10%. Um, but if we talk about investment grade property, you know, there's not a lot of available in terms of uh, available for purchase. And and certainly if we go further out in sort of regional or even particularly beachside locations, uh, there's virtually nothing available for sale. So I think if supply remains tight, and I suspect it will, you know, I think the only change uh, in property supply uh, will come when the COVID risk disappears. Now, when that happens, when will that happen? I'm not sure, of course, uh, and none of us can really tell. You know, we might get past Omicron, but then, you know, who knows what happens next uh, thereafter. But I think once we become comfortable that we're past COVID, whether that occurs this year or next, um, I, I think we'll start to see property listings normalise. Uh, and then I think it will be really interest, interesting to see uh, how that plays out. And the thing to be really careful of is overpaying for a property. Now, it depends on what type of property you're buying. Um, so firstly, if, you, if you're buying a high-quality investment-grade property, then overpaying slightly is never going to ruin that property because the, the capital growth, its high capital growth prospects, will quickly make up 
for any sort of buying mistakes and if we call you know overpaying a mistake and whether you do that uh, consciously or, or accidentally uh, is neither here nor there. Now I'm not suggesting going and paying 20% more but I'm sort of saying you know anywhere between 5 to 10% more for a really good quality high quality investment grade property is never going to ruin it. But of course, if you um, aren't buying something investment grade, if you're buying in a location that's less likely to provide uh, really strong growth in a normalized market, now you know everything uh, over the last couple of years, everything's been, well, this particularly last year, everything's been rising at a fast rate, but I'm talking about a normalized market, then it starts to become even more important to pay fair market value. Because if you're buying in a low growth uh, location, uh, it could take many years for you to kind of catch up in terms of the the purchase price, and we've seen this before uh, in different markets over the last uh, couple of decades, where I've seen people buy at the peak of the market, overpay. Um, now they might have got a good asset, but you know, three or four years later, they're still um, the property's still worth what they paid for it uh, three, four, five years ago, uh, and so they kind of get no growth. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's all about price versus value. It's all about getting the right quality property, particularly if you're investing. Um, so price is an important um, consideration, but certainly lower down the list compared to quality um, of the actual asset. But I guess when we're setting goals and we're thinking about what opportunities will the residential property market present us this year, I think we need to be cognizant that if, if it was on my goal list to buy an investment property, uh, that quite possibly I might not get the opportunity to do that this calendar year. Because if supply remains um, below normal uh, and buyer demand uh, remains where it is, uh, then the opportunities to buy at fair market value or close to it uh, might be few and far between. Uh, and so that's why that's what I think uh, the market might do. I think the low stock levels will certainly hold prices. Maybe we'll see some appreciation, but certainly not to the extent that we saw last year. Uh, and it's not until um, supply normalizes that it, I will be most interested to see what the results look like. Because will that increased supply uh, be absorbed by increased demand? Or will we actually see prices come back a little bit um, because there's no need to overpay to get into the market. It'll be interesting, but in any case, I don't think we'll see that play out this calendar year uh, unless there's some sort of magical thing that makes COVID disappear uh, very quickly. Okay, so let's turn our mind to the share market then. Uh, and I think the biggest risk for the share market this year and, uh, and maybe next year even uh, are growth stocks. Uh, now, growth stocks are the, the stocks that where people invest because they think uh, their returns are from future share price appreciation as a result of growth playing out. Um, and quite often you need to adopt absolutely implausible assumptions to justify their current value. So a lot of these stocks uh, are unprofitable, they're burning through cash, they've never paid a dividend, not even close to paying a dividend, and they're valued at multiples of uh, multiple billions, even uh, for example, in Tesla's case, a trillion dollars, a trillion US dollars, by the way. Um, they're the stocks where we don't have the fundamentals underpinning, underpinning that valuation that I think are the most risky parts. Now, there's other tech stocks, for example, that do have strong uh, fundamentals, but still have benefited from a uh, increase in valuation multiple. And if we pick, say, Apple, for example, uh, you know, it's tripled its value over the last uh, two to three years. 
but it hasn't tripled its profit over that time. Uh, but I think that's less risky because at least it's got some fundamentals and at least it's a highly profitable business um, that certainly is growing at a, a, a substantial rate given its size. Um, it's the higher, it's the other growth stocks that really don't have those fundamentals that I think is the the uh, greatest risk. Now, at some part, at some point, sorry, the market's no longer going to support these valuations of these growth stocks. At some point, the market's going to turn around and go, you know what? A company that's burning through cash, that's not making profit, really isn't worth $500 billion US. Um, and that could happen gradually. Uh, that is that those those stocks gradually sort of um, uh, teeter away. And we've seen that a little bit in Australia with Afterpay. Uh, it's about half its value from its peak at the moment. Um, or it could happen dramatically where the, the whole share market will crash, the quality stocks will eventually recover, um, and the, uh, the, the growth stocks that had no fundamentals won't. Um, now, I'm not sure when it's going to happen, what the impetus will be um, uh, for it to occur, uh, and whether it's in fact going to happen this calendar year. But from my uh, perspective, uh, particularly when investing in the share market, I cert- my, my, I'm certainly totally focused on what's going to provide the best medium-term prospects. So really when I'm thinking about investing, I'm thinking, uh, where can I put my money so in the next five years it's going to generate the highest return? Uh, for me, that's not growth stocks because, you know, how far can these things run? What is really the upside? To my mind, it's all downside and very little upside. Uh, and it's really looking at um, asset classes that have the best returns, which I, I've got a link in the show notes, which I talked about, I think, in my last blog uh, for 2021. Uh, and really, that's emerging markets, uh, the UK market, and even the Aussie market uh, still has some value in it. Um, so at least then I'm avoiding those really lofty areas uh, of the share market, particularly in the US, uh, therefore minimising the portfolio's risk, but at the same time, um, putting my money where I think is going to generate the highest returns over the next five years. Uh, it might not play out very well this year, but that's not really the reason why I'm investing. I'm not chasing uh, sort of 12-month returns. Okay, let's turn our mind to the commercial property sector. And it might be a surprise, the actual commercial property sector is doing pretty well. Uh, And I say it might be a surprise because of COVID and work from home. Uh, You might be excused for thinking that sector's in a bit of a doldrums, but it's actually not. Um, uh, Buildings are selling for really low rent on really low rental yields, um, uh, which means that investors are demanding a, a lower return on capital. Uh, which means that they're prepared to pay more for uh, buildings than they were, say, a year or two years ago. Um, and I think the thing that's driving that, or the main thing that's driving that, is low interest rates. Uh, if you're a wealthy individual and you've got millions of dollars, uh, you can't really put it in the bank because you're not going to earn very much. Uh, whereas if you go and buy a building and get a, a 5% re- yield, um, you know that looks pretty good comparatively. And I guess the um, uh, the error is to think that anyone buying a $50 million property is a, a pretty savvy and sophisticated investor. But unfortunately, that's not true. Um, there's a lot of people with a lot of money that don't necessarily investment decisions. And I think that's really reflective in the market at the moment. So I think commercial property will continue to perform well. Uh, I think um, they're... You know, we might be see we might see who's been swimming naked when the tide goes out, uh, and the tide is really interest rates. Uh, so interest rates rise. Uh, people that have built 
bought buildings on really low yields uh, on the, you know, uh, assumption that money is cheap. Uh, you know, maybe they'll get uh, uh, left wondering uh, whether they've made a good decision in the future. Uh, and that can create opportunities too, by the way, in that market. But I think the commercial sector is going to do really well. Um, and uh, let's talk about interest rates then to, to finish up. Uh, because if we're going to do some forward planning, we probably want to be thinking about what it will interest rates do. Uh, and certainly inflation or inflationary expectations are creating upward pressure in on interest rates, particularly in the US. Some of the US has said they'll start increasing interest rates uh, and reducing uh, their their bond buying or QE. And there's no doubt that supply chains are making a, a material contribution towards inflation. Um, now, supply chains aren't that difficult to um, rectify, which I'm sure will happen over the course of this year, um, and then we'll see how much uh, resulting inflation is uh, is left, left after that is uh, dealt with. So, unlike in the US, however, in Australia, we haven't seen substantial wage inflation, and I think the reopening of international borders in Australia, which is going to let in uh, international students and foreign workers... Uh, I think that's going to address some of the work shortages that are happening in some sectors like hospitality uh, and then further reduce the chances of uh, uh, sustained wage inflation. So in short, I don't think variable rates are going to change uh, very much through the course of this year. I, I would expect that fixed rates will start to con- or continue to reflect uh, rising interest rate expectations. So fixed rates will probably rise during throughout or during the year. But in terms of variable rates, probably no change. Um, uh, will variable rates change in 2023 or 2024? Who knows? Uh, I would probably be budgeting on that fact or, or that occurrence. Um, but at least this year, I think we can hold tight and enjoy continue to enjoy the low interest rate environment. Uh, So that's it for this part one. Uh, The next part, part two, I want to take you through the goal setting process that my wife and I have just been through uh, and just finalising really through the rest of this month. Um, And we can, I've I've used some of these uh, market expectations in helping me set my goals. But in terms of you setting your goals, in terms of whether you're going to invest in property, shares, commercial property, whatever it might be, uh, and and thinking about interest rates, you know, hopefully some of these expectations help you uh, throughout that process. All right, that's it for me for this week. Uh, thanks for continuing to listen to the podcast, uh, and I hope it's enjoyable. Really look forward to uh, sharing lots of good topics with you this year. Okay, that's it for me. Bye for now.